Hi there, my name's Herbie Russell and you're listening to The Real Jobs Podcast, the show where we talk to people about what they do for a living. But on this show, we're not interested in hearing from politicians, lawyers or famous sports stars. Instead, we want to talk to the sorts of people that do jobs that, although underrepresented in the media and at times poorly paid, are nonetheless really important to how society works. This is all in the hope of building up a picture of what it means to work in 21st century Britain. On the 31st of January 2020, the UK recorded its first case of coronavirus. By the 26th of March, the UK had entered its first legally enforced lockdown. At that time, lots of people were very worried about our food industry, and for good reason. For decades, the UK agricultural and food industries had relied on imported labour from Eastern Europe. Now, with borders closed, Britain's farmers had to turn to British workers to harvest their crops for the first time in decades. For those British workers that met the call to pick for Britain, it would offer a fascinating insight into a previously hidden world of work. In April 2020, I began working on a strawberry farm in Kent. There were roughly 80 workers, a mixture of Brits and those Macedonians, Bulgarians, Romanians who had got to the country before borders closed. It was here that I met Annie, my friend, colleague, and my interviewee for today. So, first of all, Annie, could you begin by telling me a bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So, my name's Pan or Annie, either one, and I'm from Nottingham, 26 years old, and currently I've been living in Cornwall in a shepherd's hut as a waitress. And so, tell me a bit about what you were doing before you began working on the farm. You know, first of all, what you're doing for work and what were the events that led to you um, getting that job? Um, so before applying to the strawberry farm, um, I'd been traveling around Eastern Europe. Um, I usually do a lot of seasonal work. So I'd been working as an outdoor instructor for bushcraft. Um, and then during the winter period, decided to just go away with some of the money that I'd saved up and traveled around Eastern Europe doing um volunteering in hostels and working with families and generally just having some time to myself. Um, I'd come back to England right just before lockdown kind of kicked in. And um, yeah, I just took my initiative of like, okay, I don't think Bushcraft's going to go ahead. So I saw that strawberry farms were going to be looking up, um, looking for workers over summer. And so straight away applied what was kind of the main motivation for you? Was it a case of kind of you wanting to just earn money? What was your thinking at the time? Yeah, I'm definitely somebody who likes finding a job that I've not never done before because it's an insight into another side of the world. But I'd say the main thing was being busy and earning money. Yeah. And not living at home as well. <laughs> <laughs> So a lot of people are not going to have any idea of how the agricultural industry worked. I definitely didn't. Um, so it'd be great to give me a sense to begin with of what this farm in particular was like. Okay, so it was down based in Kent near Faversham and um, it was family run. Um, it was just, it was such a funny experience, actually. I think because... Um, you applied we applied to hops the agency obviously and then they kind of just 
I think a week later messaged and said oh we found a farm take it or leave it kind of thing and it said family run on this one so I just thought oh sounds so idyllic (laughs) I think the word family run in my head had always been like just so um wholesome you know we're really actually it's it's I think harder because not and the thing is is that like farms usually are family run because where else do you learn that knowledge from these days like schools do not really cater to that world in a weird way even though it's such a big part of our our lives anyway this one was a family run one so I met the owner of the farm first thing when I got there my dad drove me down with all my stuff um, and I was shown to my caravan So, Annie, if you could just walk me through what a day's work looked like. Sure. Um, so we'd wake up in our static caravans um, at sunrise. We'd start up different times in the day, depending on the, how hot it was going to be. Um, so that ranged from like 5.30 in the morning we'd start to about 7, 7.30. And um, we'd all meet in the courtyard area everybody with their lunch water everything you needed for that day usually a lot of cigarettes as well because got you through (laughs) and then um, you'd be instructed by the managers of where we were going so we were either whatever what field we would field we're going to and what we were doing whether that was picking or um, husbandry work or planting you know that kind of thing you just allocated and then taken away in a, a minibus to where that was or you'd walk when it was when it was um tabletops we'd often just like grab your trolley and then walk over to the field um and we'd all fight over what trolleys we had with <laughs> so that that kind of that first bit of the day is all about getting the getting the right equipment what what equipment do we have and why is it important that you get you know good stuff <laughs> um so depending on if, if it was ground strawberries you'd have a sledge and some of the sledges were broken so you'd want a good sledge um and then if it was tabletops you'd have a trolley and um People would often sneak their trolleys behind next to their caravans as well and like leave them there because they always wanted to have that trolley, which we'd often get told off about and <laughs> saying like, put the trolleys back. I don't know why people weren't just allowed to keep them there. But anyway, then so the trolleys, especially actually, they were a pain in the arse as in sometimes they would just some of them would just tilt slightly to one angle or some, sometimes they'd be really straight or sometimes the wheels would be a bit loose or mine always squeaked I think <laughs> yeah, yeah if you had a really squeaky trolley um you could actually rub a strawberry on the wheel and that was a really good trick to stop it from squeaking I was never told this you never did that oh it's brilliant yeah yeah it worked like WD-40 exactly the same yeah strawberries that's so funny I love that in terms of where we got put on the field, was it completely random um, or were we like put on different rows? Yeah, there was usually five rows per um, polytunnel. There was two leg rows, the outside rows, which nobody often wanted because I think it got less sunlight or it was more exposed to the weather. So the, the strawberries weren't generally as good um, and people just always wanted the middle rows. And then you'd have your labels with you, um, which was your barcode. 
um, and you put that on each tray so then they could count and monitor like the quality and how much you'd be picking throughout the day to see if that met up with the um your minimum wage and that would yeah equate to what you were earning yeah um and then yeah it would just kind of set off and go um obviously the quicker you were the more strawberries you pick so you could earn more than your minimum wage if you were slower sometimes in the breaks or lunch times they'd look over how many how trays people picked and if you hadn't picked enough trays that it wasn't worth it for the farmer then you'd be sent home to the caravan um which i totally understand really i mean it's harsh for the people for you because it means that you're not earning for the rest of that day um but in many ways you know the farmer and the managers also have their own quotas to meet um it's like a t- constant job interview in that way of like mm. are you good enough today <laughs> exactly. I mean, you're, i think you you raise a really good point because from the farmer's perspective you can see it you know if if it's not worth that if your labor's not worth their money then you can see it's in their interest to send you home. But I'm also just thinking from the angle of somebody who, if you've come all the way from Eastern Europe, you know, you've put your kind of life on hold to come to the UK. You expect, you're hoping to earn enough money to maybe provide for family back home. It's really precarious, right? If if every day there's a risk that you're going to get sent home and you're not going to be able to earn any money at all because you're not doing any hours, that's quite a scary prospect, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Absolutely for sure. Yeah, and I think so that would often be a big deal for the Eastern Europeans was to if you put on a leg row, you know, I think they were thinking in their head, like, you know, this is gonna be a good pick. And so the managers also had that importance of making sure it was fair as much as possible. Um and so remembering who'd been on a leg row last and stuff, and so if they go on a leg row again, then definitely next time not on a leg row you know um which i think was really good of them and yeah yeah and then so and what time would we would we finish generally it depended on how many strawberries there were basically Mm. i'd say we finished about five every day to be honest um four or five because it was summer they'd try and we'd try and finish as early as possible so we weren't working through the whole of the heat of the day yeah 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 but that wasn't that wasn't always possible and yeah we were under polytunnels so whatever heat it was outside the polytunnel it was like double (laughs) underneath the polytunnel yeah yeah and and there was I remember at the beginning of the season we were working on ground strawberries so it was very much squatting um on the floor like pushing sledges uphill sometimes wasn't it often through deep boggy mud and then second half of the season it got a bit easier didn't it when we got moved onto the tabletops yeah it was it was easier but there were still their own challenges and like the because when the ground wasn't even and if you didn't have a particularly good trolley then like the chance of it's tipping you know was it was always there so the managers would be looking out for color size um, and shape of the mm. strawberry and stuff and so you you don't generally get away with like one or two slightly odd looking strawberries in a punnet but you could you know overall they need to look st- like shelf worthy i guess good enough and like also at this point like i found out later on during the season that there was all these politics of like sometimes they would like 
because I learned quite a bit of Romanian, so I was able to talk to some of them about their tips and things, and they'd be like, hey, bottom, bottom, like, tray, pline, which means full. Second, not so pline, not so pline, kind of thing. Like, not so full, not so full. Top one, pline, 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 like, really, really <laughs> full. And then, and then the manager will say, ah, oh, really good strawberries, and they're just thinking their head, like, money, money, money. What parts of the job did you did you enjoy to begin with? Um, ooh, I guess I enjoyed like being out in the sun and talking to the managers and the staff about what it's like being on a farm. And I mean, I really enjoyed meeting the people um, that I was working with and stuff. Um, there were some jobs at the very beginning which were quite relaxed, um, like the putting the bugs on top of the strawberries, so like the predators of the amphids. I want to say amphids. Yeah, um, aphids. Aphids. Well, that's it. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. So um, that was quite re- relaxing, um, and obviously, like it was nice to be outside. I always enjoyed the breaks. <laughs> Yeah. I don't I can't really say if I later on I enjoyed it more and more because I would actually really challenge myself and get into it you know yeah. I think I found it really frustrating at the beginning of the fact that I wasn't picking enough mm. yeah yeah I mean I never got to the point where I was picking nearly enough so basically the the amount you earn is based directly on how many strawberries you pick I mean even if you don't pick enough because of you know labor laws in this country you, you'll always get minimum wage but um the idea is isn't it that you kind of will pick enough strawberries to earn slightly above that yeah you, you you're told kind of i think about once a week it was i was anyway how much your how much what you were picking was worth yeah and yeah. i i think minimum wage for me at the time was eight pounds 70 something i never got above um seven pounds <laughs> um but you were quite good weren't you how 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 good did you get in the end? There was one day where I got nine pounds an hour, which I was so so ecstatic about. But this was the this was the day that I was on about that was from five thirty in the morning till five in the after five in the afternoon or something. Yeah, and I think I just I had got to that point where I was like, we need to get out of this field because yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just like sweaty business. Um, but yeah, I never got sent home to the caravan, which is pretty impressive. Very good. We'll get on to that. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the punishments. Um, <laughs> so maybe maybe easier than the, the best bits. What were what were the hardest bits of the job? Um, the balancing of the trays and the trolleys. That was hard work. Yeah, if if it fell and all yeah. your strawberries hit the floor. You weren't allowed to use them, were you? So that was kind of a bit tragic. And you'd hear a you'd hear a scream every now and then come from one of the fields, and you'd look around <laughs> and see some poor person with their their strawberries all over the floor, and then and then you'd have to kind of scramble to put them back in the tray yeah. with you before anybody saw. There was a lot of moments of kind of feeling of defeat. I think um, it was just again, it was frustrating that's that side of like I think for me, I'll just think about the whole nation of of the uk and just like are we really this picky of what strawberries we would eat do you know what i mean like that would annoy the hell out of me 
And I know we were all different. It wasn't like, you know, as the English workers weren't all like a collective, we didn't all have the same attitudes. As I mentioned, I definitely moaned a lot more than than some people did. But generally speaking, you know, would you do you think it's fair to say that the Eastern Europeans were were more hardworking, for example? Yeah, but I think also British workers, we've never seen that aspect of the work before and so didn't know what to expect. Like we haven't had people that could properly tell us, but it's really like this. We had we had people on the news and the, and the radio being like, come and pick strawberries, Britain needs mm. you. And like, and I think a lot of people really thought that they were helping out, which is lovely. And I think at that time with COVID and everything that was going on, like that sense of helping out was really important for people. Um, but it wasn't, and I, th- and I think again, like that's the thing as well, isn't it? That because it was during the time of the first lockdown, the attitude more was of like, I, I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to pick mm. some strawberries, you know? Yeah. In terms of the actual workforce, we had the English workers, we had the Eastern Europeans, and then we had obviously the level above. So we had the management. The top, we've got the farm owner, and then we've got a few managers below him. What would you say the relationship... Well, actually, first of all, what was senior management like? Stressed. <laughs> they were, yeah, really stressed out, I think, because they had to meet all these quotas to make um, make the profit happen and stuff, yeah. Exactly. And I think probably the fact that it's a small farm really kind of increased that stress because, you know, economies of scale in maybe a big farm, you can afford to maybe you know lose a, a few rows of strawberries it's not going to be a big deal but for a small little family run farm like that every single penny is getting counted isn't it and and when, when things went badly um yeah they they got they got quite angry at times didn't they <laughs> they did get quite angry at times um yeah so um yeah so it was the it, it was a day oh i don't know if you were there at this point or not i can't really remember yeah I, I was. I think I might have been skiving off. Oh yeah. <laughs> so the day before, I think at this point the managers and the owner was getting really were getting really stressed about the fact that the quality and everything just wasn't up to scratch, um, and they'd. It was like it was this kind of school scenario where they just trigger figuring out what way they could punish people basically to get them to work harder yeah and um this one day they gathered us all around the pallet and they pulled an individual out and in front of everybody told them that their strawberries were bad that day that they hadn't picked correctly um they'd done this the day before as well and at that point i'd hoped to kind of walk away well, I, th- I thought in my head, basically, after the first time they did it, I was like, I wish I'd just walked away and kind of just said, like, I'm not working for somebody who's going to do that. Um, but I didn't. And then the next day, they did it again. And so I just took my trolley over, started unloading, and they asked me if I was okay. I was like, I'm okay. Yeah, I just don't want to work for somebody. I don't want to work in an environment where people are ridiculed and not felt is you know this is a workplace and people are individuals and people have individual feelings mm. people have like left their homes families at home to be here 
I just think that there's different techniques and ways of going about this. And one of the managers said to me, like, you don't understand how stressed we are. And I was like, I understand you're really stressed and like, but you don't need to pass that stress on to us, you know, like we're your team at the end of the day, like makers want to work for you. I I can think of so many occasions which that kind of thing happened. I think the interesting thing was, was that this was the first time in basically decades any English people had worked on one of these farms, okay? Certainly on that farm, they hadn't had an English fruit picker in, yeah, tens of years. And then during that time, this culture had grown. This is my opinion of it anyway. This culture had grown of how management treat employees. And then all of a sudden, we were plunged in and it was like being plunged into a different world because almost like a kind of microclimate, it had been allowed to develop on its own and then we suddenly get put into it and we're kind of in this whole new environment where the norms of how you treat employees kind of go out the window. You know, it felt a bit almost Victorian at times, I felt. Like one one time that springs to mind was when I was working in the packing house um, and we had started really early, started around half five uh, and that was really long. I think we finished around half six in the end. Basically, we didn't have enough staff to um, to do the job properly, to do it in normal hours because so many people had left because they weren't happy about working on the farm. And I remember having a conversation with the farm owner then saying, this isn't right. You know, we, we've had one half an hour break and we are, we've been working for 13 hours now. That really shocked me. Yeah, and I think this is the, this was my whole conundrum of the whole time, really. It was like, of like, whose responsibility is it? Do you know what I mean? And like, where where is this problem stemming from, really? Because essentially it's the supermarkets. That was my that was my final conclusion was that like actually the owner, the manager, nobody was a bad person. It's just that they have they are being controlled themselves. You know, they have no say in their own business or what they can and can't do. And like regulations for them would always change. You know, new laws would come in for farms that they have to fulfill. And I actually don't understand <laughs> where the profit comes in the end really like there is no chance of me ever starting a strawberry farm or farming business myself you know um because you know yeah when you just think of the tractors in itself you know that and like having the warehouse having all these storage places having all those caravans having all the polytunnels all of that money that has to go into setting up and then you've got to go through the fact that weather might not be good (laughs) And so you, you you could put all that effort in and you might not even get a good crop. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I suppose it's a case of, you know, the UK does have the cheapest fruit and veg in the whole of Europe. And that is made possible by, you know, p- paying employees very little and trying to keep trying to keep costs low. But the thing is, it, like you say, for a small farm like that, if you're comp- competing against massive farms, it's going to be really hard for them to make a profit isn't it um and so obviously a lot of our time was dominated by work we were working loads but we did have some time off um and I think it's definitely worth talking about because that was such an important part of the experience you know the time which wasn't spent working on the fields um so let's start off by talking about the accommodation what what was uh what were what are our homes like they were just static caravans basically yeah they didn't they they had electricity but they didn't have um, and then there was a shared communal spaces that would have water and gas. 
So we had everything that we needed and there were the shared toilets and showers as well. How much free time did we get, would you say? Um, and how did you spend your free time? Um, I think I had a, I think I had a bike um, with me, which was really good. So some, sometimes in the evenings I'd cycle to the beach. Um, usually, well, you just, you'd get in and have a shower and a beer probably um, and then do some cooking. I got to know the, a lot of the Eastern Europeans as well. So sometimes they'd invite me over to um, have some food or beer with them. Um, and yeah, then on a Saturday night, because it was for the main portion of the season, it was mainly six days a week that we worked. And so on Saturday night, usually there was big parties. Um, people would have like a big barbecue and the, the Romanian music would come on. <laughs> I think a lot of people, there, were, there was a group of us that, of British workers that had kind of turned up just to meet up with their friends. Yeah. <laughs> they basically, they just finished the holiday in Goa, hadn't they? They were really lovely, yeah. but they really liked to party as well. And, uh, and that was quite, it's quite hard to juggle partying in the evening with working long days on the field, isn't it? Really difficult. Yeah, but they weren't bothered about the actual work. No. You know, they were just happy to have a static caravan with their mates and have parties every night. Yeah. <laughs> like... yeah. The English were great, weren't they? We had people from kind of all walks of life, you know, we had hairdressers, um, window cleaners, um, construction workers, as a, a girl who was a tour guide, artists. It was really great, wasn't it, to have such a mix of people. Yeah, like single, like one woman was a single mum, and um, I don't know who was looking after her kids actually. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like different ages as well. And overall, would you say? I mean, would you say that we got on with the Eastern European? You know, would you say we socialised well? I always thought it was nice. I thought, despite language barrier, we had all really quite good relationships. I felt. I think so. I think um, what was. What was just again, but which was really just fascinating was I think for the Eastern Europeans because to even go to a shop or go anywhere from the farm, you, the people had to get a taxi. There wasn't like a bus service or anything, um, and so in a way, it was really good for them to have the outside world in there for them as well. You know, I think everybody kind of learnt from both sides. You know, just saw the different in difference in culture and you know as you say it really was a microclimate and a different world you know and um yeah and I had some good conversations with the Eastern Europeans just like you know them just kind of saying like just just having that conversation of like maybe not completely understanding both sides all the, all the time but their openness to it as mm. well and you know they would have we would have a really good laugh wouldn't we yeah really good laugh and um they were so helpful and just so so patient really yeah and so accommodating and you know I remember the first uh, my first weekend there it was one of the rare ones where we had the Friday and the Saturday off almost no sorry the Saturday and the Sunday and they had a huge barbecue and you know we hadn't I we didn't know them and we were all invited and we played football out on the grass and especially that was coming in the middle of lockdown that just kind of felt a little bit utopian I remember I absolutely loved it I yeah. couldn't believe it yeah definitely yeah and so finally um so how long were you there on the farm for in total did you get there in April 
I got there in April. April and, then... and April. When did you finish? End of August. End of August. How many months is that? I think four. And so, yeah, August, yeah. So when? So why did you leave in August? Was that because the season ended, or had you had enough? Did you leave a bit earlier? I ended up being one of the two British people left on the farm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I'd got my job back with bushcraft, basically doing outdoor education. And um, it was better paid. I'd be with friends. Um, it was funny, though. I must admit, like leaving, I really, I, I actually really regretted it in a way. I really hope, wished I'd stayed until the very end to kind of mm. just see how it all you know worked out but at the same time like yeah I'd had enough (laughs) yeah um and I just last of all I want to go for just go through the raw numbers in terms of what we earned minimum wage wasn't it um how um how was it earning that much was it enough you know what I didn't save it as much as I thought I would actually because really, like, our expenditure costs weren't huge, were they? Um, no. But, again, you know, it was that thing of... Um, it it was a filler of that time, more than anything, I guess. Was it worth it? Was it worth the money? Do you think you should have... Do you think your your labour... Not in terms of how much the, the farm was making, but in terms of the work you're putting in, you know, do you think your labour was worth more than that? Or do you think that was about right? that's really hard because I think then you have to look at the whole minimum wage all over isn't it of every job and stuff I think that I think essentially I think if I was to completely be honest I'd say that the minimum wage part of it is fine but the pressure put on the job is not okay kind of Mm. thing because that doesn't equate I think that if the slack was taken off the actual farmer then they could make it more of an enjoyable job and then I wouldn't be so frustrated what I was earning basically I think it's that thing I think the the job itself you know it is picking strawberries but it's the pressure and the stress that's put on you that's the hard and horrible part kind of thing um and yeah, and I think if the farmer was earning more, I'd like to imagine that the farmer would put more money into making the conditions better and the equipment better, um, everything like that. Um, yeah, I would obviously, I mean, everybody would like to be paid a bit more, wouldn't they? Thank you for listening to The Real Jobs Podcast and thank you for Annie for coming on today. If you want to know more about this subject, I wrote an article for Prospect Magazine way back in 2020 about my experiences on the farm. You can have a look at that on www.prospectmagazine.co.uk forward slash author forward slash Herbie hyphen Russell. Link is in the show notes. I'll also be uploading a separate episode with a friend of mine called Georgie He also worked on the farm, so gives a good perspective of what it was like from the angle of a foreign worker. Once again, thank you for listening.